since May of last year when we officially launched the loop, we actually go beyond golf, which has really opened it up for me and a lot of our writers as well. Now I can just write something, not worry about the golf angle because the loop is not golf specific, but what golfers would talk about throughout a round. We focus on sports, pop culture, TV, movies, viral videos that are going around, just things that people are talking about. So that gives us a real wide variety to write about and discuss. And so the grind is one of the anchor columns and of the loop, but it certainly paved the way, at least for me, to get into writing about things that aren't just strictly serious golf. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thank you for joining us. Remember to hit the subscribe button on either iTunes or our show page at www.mod.golf so that you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Alex Myers, who is a senior writer with Golf Digest and host of The Grind. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because Alex talks about golf through a different lens than most of us and will provide a unique perspective on the state of the game. Alex definitely falls in the influencer category, and I'm hoping by the end of our interview, we'll place him in at least one of the, of the other three that I mentioned earlier. Alex, hey, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Colin. Great to be here. Uh, good to have you here, too. Okay, so to get us started, Alex, uh, can you share with our listeners a, a bit about yourself, your personal golf history, and, and your connection to the game? Sure. I actually got into golf thanks to my grandfather, who unfortunately passed away on Masters Thursday coming up on seven years this year. But he got me into the game as pretty young when I would go visit him in the summer. Actually, his last name was Myers, and he lived in Fort Myers, Florida. I went down there quite a bit with my family, and they had a great thing down there where you could get a junior membership there for 50 bucks for the whole year. So if I went down there twice a year and I would play five times each time I was there, I could play 10 rounds for 50 bucks basically. And I got to play a lot with him and taught me the game. And I remember the first golf tournaments that I watched were with him. I remember the first one actually was John Daly winning that PGA championship in, in 91 at, at Crooked Stick. My grandpa definitely gets the credit for getting me into golf. My parents have gotten a little more into golf since I've gotten into golf, but it was really from my grandfather. And I was never a really good player or anything. I've gotten better since I've been out of college. But when I was at college at Wake Forest, I got into writing for the school paper and I was fortunate enough to be assigned the golf beat and the Wake Forest golf team is perennial powerhouse. And it just so happened that Bill Haas was a classmate of mine for four years. And so the team was very good and he was great. And so that was fun. And once I graduated, I just got into sports writing and I worked for a local paper. And then uh, I moved on to Golf Digest coming up on nine years ago, which is kind of crazy to me. The time has really flown. And that's just kind of how I got into it. But I, I've always loved the game since a kid, thanks to my grandfather. And I've become more and more serious with it, I guess, as time's gone on, especially since it is my job to keep up with it and play as well, I think. Right. I love to hear that story because that's one of the many themes and issues we talk about on the Mod Golf podcast is growing the game especially with, with kids, and the fact that you had that early introduction, a very positive experience with your grandfather. I'm sure your agent probably went down there to Florida and you probably thought, hey, it's named after us. We own this fort, so obviously I can play golf wherever I want, man, because it's our, it's our town. We can do what we want. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it was Fort Myers Country Club. Yeah, it was a great place. It was just about a mile down the road. He would drop me off or he would play with me. And what I do remember, too, is that at first I preferred playing mini golf against him and my grandpa was really good at mini golf as well he's a great putter 
And he actually had one of these putters that he used the mini golf putter on the course. He would putt from both ways. If it was a longer putt, he would putt lefty. And if it was a shorter putt, he would putt righty. So at first, I really just liked mini golf. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Eventually, I got weaned onto the bigger course. It can be a little intimidating for kids, for sure. But yeah, like you said, if, you, if you're there with someone you know, a father, your grandfather, certainly makes it a lot lot easier. And again, I was fortunate. I'm, I'm glad I got into it at that age because a lot of my friends in high school didn't end up playing golf. A lot of my friends who I still keep in touch with, they're actually not golfers for the most part. So I kind of had that connection through my grandfather. And when I'd visit him in the summer, that's kind of when I would play my golf. Right. And I'm more like your friends are there where I grew up as a team sports guy. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I was about really 18 or 19 that I picked up a club and fallen in love with the game since then. Still looking to actually become half decent at it, but that's that's part of the journey and part of the love and the allure <laughs> of the game as we know. So hey, I want to leave Fort Myers behind uh, for now and bring you forward to the present day. I, I do want to get into the grind in a few minutes here, but, uh, but overall, describe for our listeners here a typical week in the life for Alex Myers. Well, the best thing about my week or my day is that I really don't know a lot of times what's going to happen on any particular day or any particular week. I have a really long leash when it comes to picking the topics I want to write about. A lot of it's dictated on what happens that day. We're kind of reacting to a lot of stuff. And so the bare bones of it is I'm in the office a few days a week. I'm at home on call the rest of the week. When there's big tournaments or when Tiger's playing over the weekend, there's always an expectation that if he does anything, I'm probably going to react and do something to that or at least to help coordinate our coverage of that on the weekend. So it's a unique job in that I feel like I'm looking for angles to write posts about 24-7, really. I might not be actually doing something 24-7, but if I see something that night, I'm making notes. I'm, I'm either doing it first thing in the morning or maybe I do do things at night. I remember writing a, <laughs> writing a few posts while my wife's sleeping and I have my computer out and I'm typing away. I remember, uh, for instance, Bubba Watson last year had a half court shot at a magic game and he clanged going off the back of the rim and it stuck there on the rim and I happened to see the highlight right as I was going to bed and I said you know what I got to do something this so I whipped up the laptop fired it up and did a post on that so things like that just pop up all the time and again it's just great to be able to have the freedom my schedule is kind of set for me but the freedom to pick and choose for the most part what I get to do and at the end of the day sometimes I'll, I'll think wow that was amazing I wrote about Tiger I wrote about Phil i wrote about goats on a golf course. I wrote about all these wacky different things today that when I showed up at the office, I had no clue that was what my day would entail. So it's a fun job. I'm really fortunate to have it. And and I I really enjoy almost every single minute of it. Now, you mentioned that you have that freedom to write about pretty much whatever you want or kind of figure it out as you go. And I can certainly pick that up in, in your writing and also what you do with your video work there with the grind. I'll be honest, Alex, that's really the reason I reached out to you because you do see golf through, as I said, a a different lens than most people. And you bring in all these other elements of other sports, contemporary lifestyle, entertainment, culture, and embed that, infuse that in what you do. And it makes for some real compelling reading and watching. So with that, can you tell our audience, our mod golfers, about the grind? Tell us about it and when it got started and how it got started. Sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for those kind words. I really appreciate it. I like to think people are reading crying. I know that people are. I check our stats a lot and everything else, but it's really nice to get any sort of feedback. And yeah, I do try to provide somewhat of a different spin on things. I know a lot of times, it seems like when I do get negative feedback, it's people saying, 
well, you're being silly about something or this or that. And, and I want to say, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. There's so How dare you? Right. There's so much serious stuff going on. And golf coverage traditionally has been so serious, it seems, even compared to other sports, that I did want to try to do something different. I will say my first recurring thing at Golf Digest was I saw an opening in the fantasy golf space and I started to do a column. It wasn't really so much a column, but I called it, my editor called it a column and it was called the Fantasy Fix. And I would try to sprinkle in these things that you mentioned and it didn't really work as well, to be honest, but it was kind of a stretch from fantasy golf. It was too narrow of a focus. And although we still do some fantasy golf and I do a weekly fantasy golf podcast with Joel Beal, and although we do talk really more generally about the PGA Tour, we realized that fantasy golf really just wasn't catching on right? and it wasn't getting the readership. So I came up with another idea for a weekly column that would focus a lot on what has happened, but also spin it forward to what was going to happen that week and just kind of a total potpourri of everything going on in the game and and some things that are going beyond the game like you mentioned so to stretch it into pop culture and where golf crosses into to other areas and i pitched that to my editor he let me give it a spin i think it was uh january you know beginning of the year 2013 so that's what done it for five years plus which is amazing i actually if you just asked me i would have said well i probably have done it for three years but now that i think about it it's been five years so that shows you it's Time's flown, and this is the third year that we've done the accompanying video, which for most of the first year was really kind of just went through the bullet points of what was in the column. But then we ended up, for different reasons, spinning it into a more single-focused video, and that's why you'll see me pick one topic versus everything else and focus on that for a video. So again, sorry to, for a long-winded answer here, but yeah, it started in 2013, and again, it was something that I didn't see out there a lot, a, a little bit of a different perspective. And also, as much as I like to call it a column, and it is considered a column, I'm kind of cheating because I do get to touch on a lot of different topics. So for me, that's an easier style of writing and just writing short little uh, vignettes almost on a, on a lot of different topics. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, and I like to hear when readers think that it's fun as well. So thank you. Well, I definitely think it's fun. So uh, so there. there, there's at least one person out there. <laughs> you, now you can track that data. I think you just placed yourself in a couple more buckets here beyond the influencer category. I think you've just talked about that at Golf Digest. They take an experimental or a startup mentality because it sounds like you pitched to them just like you would as a startup there with the grind. So you're being entrepreneurial. So I'll tick that box off. And you are thinking outside the box. So actually being innovative there. So I'll give you that one too. And we'll see how the conversation goes if I can actually give you the disruptor badge also. So we'll see. We have some talking to do. So maybe you can get all four out of four there. <laughs> And I do find it interesting, yes, is, is you do connect with golf, but you also reach out into other areas. I, I saw on the grind, you were giving poor Bubba Watson yet another hard time there with his jump shot fail. <laughs> was that Tracy McGrady? Was it T-Mac that rejected him brutally there at the Celebrity All-Star Game? <laughs> <laughs> right. That was T-Mac rejecting Bubba. I don't know what he was thinking driving through the lane. I also don't know why T-Mac was in that game, to be honest. That seems a little unfair. I know he's he's older and he's retired, but come on, you've got to think that he's going to dominate and <laughs> when he's playing against Bubba Watson in basketball. But yeah, certainly stuff like that is just so perfect and ripe for material for us. And the grind came before what we did last year at Golf Digest when we made a huge decision to create the loop. 
which is a separate blog, really. Now, I know a lot of people get confused by it, and it can be confusing because it still has a Golf Digest URL, but The Loop is really our second blog where you have a lot of the crossover stuff, a lot of the more not hard-hitting golf news. And now, since May of last year, when we really officially launched The Loop, we actually go beyond golf, which has really opened it up for me and a lot of our writers as well to not even have to... It used to be I would see something... The Bubba Watson getting rejected by Tracy McGrady, that's an obvious golf hook there. But I would see something and have to try to really stretch to come up with a golf angle to be able to write something. Now I can just write something, not worry about the golf angle, because the loop is really more not golf specific, but what golfers would talk about throughout a round. So it can be virtually anything. We focus on sports pop culture, TV, movies, viral videos that are going around, just things that people are talking about. So that gives us a real wide variety to write about and discuss. And so the grind obviously is one of the anchor columns and posts of the loop and preceded the loop by a few years, but it certainly paved the way, at least for me, to get into writing about things that aren't just strictly serious golf. Well, you're certainly tapping into something there that is very appealing and very engaging. I'm sure you're familiar with good old Back Nine Network from a few years ago. And that didn't quite work out well for them for uh, reasons that we can uh, discuss over a beer the other time that we both know. But ultimately, (laughs) they actually did see a demand and an opportunity there. They just didn't execute it all that well. But ultimately, it it was there. So it seems like you guys are taking the best aspects of what Back9 Network was looking to monetize there. And you're certainly proving that there is an appetite for that content. Keep going because it's good stuff and you're only getting better every single week. Hey, one thing I wanted to mention while we're still talking NBA here, what do you think about with growing the game with guys like Steph Curry? Of course, they played a web.com tour event last year and close to a scratch golfer. I don't know what his handicap is, but obviously he's a low single digit. So what do you think about guys like him and the opportunity to connect outside of the traditional golf audience to help grow the game and the influence him and other celebrities have on the growth of golf? Well, yeah, Steph Curry's had a huge influence for sure. I think what he's done is fantastic. We had him on the cover of golf. Digest. I forgot what issue it was. Probably a couple years ago, we've done some videos with him where he's hitting golf shots on a basketball court, doing fun stuff. He did a lesson with Hank Haney. He is an avid golfer. And as you said, I mean, he's a terrific golfer. And he got a lot of criticism for taking that sponsor's exemption into a web.com tour event. But I thought it was fantastic. I thought he handled himself great. I thought he more than held his own. I know he missed the cut by a lot, but he shot a pair of 74s. He didn't finish last. He was playing against all guys who are doing it for a living. I think that as long as that kind of stuff doesn't happen every week, it's kind of cool. And it definitely gets people into the game. I'm sure that tournament had the best attendance it's ever gotten. I'm sure there were people that there that week who have never gone to a golf tournament and who said, hey, this is pretty cool. Steph Curry's playing. Maybe I'll give it a try. I'm sure that happened. I know Tony Romo is supposed to play in an upcoming PJ Tour event. That is where it stretches a little because I don't know if, how he's going to be able to hang there. And he is taking you know, a spot away maybe from someone who's trying to make a living. So I I know the criticism, I can see it from the other side, but I do think that as long as it's not done on a weekly basis or anything like that, and especially if it's kept to the web.com tour, not that those guys aren't all fighting for their lives as well. Of course they are. But I just think that that tour could really use the exposure, any exposure it can get. And having someone like Steph Curry play certainly was was a big boost to that tour. Definitely. It certainly raises the profile of the web.com tour having Steph playing there. 
I don't know if there's any plans for this summer for him playing again or, or any other athletes kind of crossing over that have a good game. I know guys like Kelly Slater, probably not quite as good, but he's a single handicapper too. And this, right. this is fantastic that you have these people that are influencers that have these huge followings in their other sport and they can bring other people into golf and make golf legitimately cool because we both know, I'm sure we can cite multiple examples of uh, lots of efforts to make golf cool that uh, haven't exactly made it look cool. Uh, but uh, golf is, uh, maybe that's my new hat I need, make golf cool again. <laughs> there, right. we, there we go. I'll get a couple of those made up. So, so hey, I wanted to ask you this, Alex. So what is the most innovative new golf product or experience that you've come across in the last 12 months? And what do you like about it so much? Well, I think the obvious one is Top Golf. For people who don't know, it's a driving range slash nightclub slash pool party if you go to the one in Vegas, which I visited there. I, I was in Vegas with the bachelor party yeah. and it had just opened. And I walked over there with a couple friends because I said, we got to check this place out. Those two friends who walked there were like, wow, this place looks awesome. Let's tell the rest of the guys. Let's do it. We went back, tried to round up the crew, couldn't make it happen. They just needed to see it and they would have done it. So unfortunately, it didn't quite work out. That would have been just perfect timing, a perfect thing to do on a, on a bachelor party. But I did finally get to go to one this past summer. We had an event. There's a newer one in Edison, New Jersey, which unfortunately is not really close enough for me to go to on any sort of regular basis, but it was fun. It was great. We were there with coworkers who are serious golf and we were there with business side people who are not serious golfers and they seem to have a better time than the serious golfers. So that shows you what kind of a neat destination these places are coming. I know they're rapidly expanding. It seems like every month or so I hear about another one opening up somewhere else. So I just think places like that are great. I know people argue, well, that doesn't necessarily mean those people who discover a top golf will end up picking up golf seriously. And maybe they won't a lot of cases, but I do think you will have some people picking it up. And if not, I think going to a top golf, even for an hour, every once in a while with friends, I think that counts as playing golf. If you or I went out in the driveway and played horse basketball, we would say we played basketball that day. So I think it's an apt comparison. And I think that something like this is kind of a sneaky way of increasing the, the golf participation rates. Right. And I've had this debate, this discussion on the Mod Golf podcast a couple of times where I've had a couple of guests that are still staunch and firm believers, traditionalists that figure, no, you got to play 18 holes. So you card a handicap and a score. Otherwise, it's not golf where I've argued that like you have that no actually golf traditionally was a switch yeah either it's on or it's off you play 18 holes or it's not golf but now it's more like a dial like right, you said right. whether it's playing at top golf whether you're playing mini putt like you did with your grandfather like for kids that gateway to the game introducing them to that that, that is golf and we know top golf quite well right, right and of the over 10 million visits they had last year at their around 40 venues the data showed that over 40 percent of them are considered non-golfers and they consider a non-golfer golfer defined as someone that's never picked up a club before to someone that plays less than two rounds a year. So exactly as you've said there, Alex, you know, through that golf acquisition funnel of 10 million people, you're going to get a small percentage of those that then go out to a golf course, even if you got 5% of them. My math is correct there. That's what, that's 50,000 people? You know, that's not bad. If you can get them out to play a round of golf or do something combining with all the other things that are out there that are making it more enjoyable, more fun, such as all, all the other apps that are out there now to actually help you with your game improvement, Right. right. Uh, something as fun as golf board. I don't know if you've rode a golf board yet on a golf course. They're super fun. Oh my goodness. I love golf board. You asked me that question that should have jumped
jumped out in my mind. Not to, sorry to cut you off there. I I love golf board, and it's so funny because when I first saw it, I don't know a viral video of it or something. I think one of our colleagues had gone and tested it out somewhere. I thought, man, that's silly. I don't. Who would ever want to do that? That's ridiculous. It's funny. I'm a young guy. Well, sort of. I, I guess I'm a young guy, but I am more a traditional golfer. I do like to play 18 holes. I don't need a lot of gimmicks or anything to get me on the course. I just like to play. But I went to a course this summer with the golf board. I tried it. I split nine holes with a buddy. I didn't want to give it up after nine holes. It was so much fun. And the next time I went back to that course, I called ahead. I made sure I reserved it. I don't know if I would do it every round because it, for me, it was actually a little stressful making the turns in a couple spots. But man, it was so much fun. And when you get into like the open space and it, it's a lot of fun. And I'll tell you one thing too, it really speeds up the round, even if just one person in your group has it. Because as long as you're playing with friends who don't care about strict honors or this and that, I would hit my tee shot. The other guys would hit the tee shot. I would zoom out to my shot. I'd help people find their balls. Once we knew where the balls were, I'd go to my shot. I'd hit my shot. They'd come up and hit. It actually really streamlined the whole process. And if everybody had one, man, you could really cut down on how long it takes to play around a round of golf. So, I mean, yeah, I'm all aboard at the golf board. Great stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that data actually proves itself. We had the president of golf board on for a podcast episode oh, cool. a while ago. So our listeners can go back into our, our episode archives to actually hear that one. That data they have, it actually cuts the average round of golf by about 15 to 18 minutes. So, yeah, for course owners there, that's just money in the bank. That means you can increase your utilization rates, less time on the course. We're always striving to actually make the game a little bit faster, yep. a little bit easier, a little more fun. You played nine holes, so you probably got a pretty good core workout on that too, Alex, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and someone told me, they were like, you're probably going to feel a little tomorrow. And I did. I mean, it, you, you get a little core, uh, but it, it really is just exhilarating getting into the open there. I know a lot of people like to drive golf carts to begin with. I know a lot of kids, that's why kids get, get into golf as well. They want to get on the course and drive the cart. But man, the golf board is a lot more fun than driving a golf cart. That's for sure. I agree. If, if our listeners want to see what riding a golf board is like, you can actually go to our YouTube channel where I am on there riding one at the PGA show demo day, trying to look cool. <laughs> After I saw the video, I looked like I'm desperately trying not to fall off. It looked like I own this thing. So I'll let you be the judge on, <laughs> on that one of how much I really have control over that. But yeah, lots of fun there with golf board. I want to get back to Top Golf for a second here. I'm going to ask you a question here. So, if you had to choose between playing 18 holes with your regular foursome or going to a Top Golf with some of your non-golfing friends, which one would you choose, Alex? Well, again, I'm kind of a traditionalist. It's a no-brainer for me. I would play 18 holes with my friends. But again, that's not a knock on Top Golf. It's just a statement to how much I just love to play real golf. And again, I see the appeal of Top Golf to the less serious golfer. I think the more serious golfer, including myself, I actually enjoy just going to the range, which again, top golf is essentially a range. You can go there and, and really work on your game and practice, but I don't need all the bells and whistles even to do that. I'll just go to the range once or twice a week, hit a small bucket. I like doing that. That's a way to make it feel like I played golf that day, even if I didn't have the four or five hours to invest in playing a real round. But if I do have that chance to play a full round with my normal foursome, uh, I'm definitely taking that any day of the week. I am with you on that one. I do enjoy top golf, and I know the guys over there very well. So uh, no disrespect to all you top golf people out there. I, I love what you have, but but yeah, I like getting out on a golf course with my friends also, without question. So we did talk about the NBA a little bit before. So I'd like to ask you this, Alex: if golf can learn from any 
other sport regarding how to reach a new audience for both playing and watching, what sport would that be and why is that? Well, I was going to say the NBA because I just think they do a tremendous job of marketing, not their teams, but their individual players. What I mean by that, obviously, is I'm unfortunately a Knicks fan, but I still watch the NBA all the time because I'm a LeBron James fan and I'm a Chris Paul fan. And I do anything I can to watch when those two guys are on national TV. And luckily they're on all the time. So what I find so amazing about the NBA is that even though they're currently, and I'd say unfortunately, in a state of having one team that is so much better than every other team, and obviously that's the Golden State Warriors, who other than a LeBron James miraculous performance would have won three championships in a row, are arguably the greatest team of all time, mm-hmm. certainly the best team I've ever seen. What I was going to say is there's only one team that really has a chance to win the championship this year, and yet the NBA is at its most popular that it's ever been, and that's because of the stars and the way that their stars are marketed. They had a game on the other day with the Milwaukee Bucks and the New Orleans Pelicans, and people were watching because they want to see Anthony Davis and they want to see the Greek Freak, and people always want to see LeBron, and and even the Warriors, people loved watching the Warriors and Stephen Curry and, and their style of basketball. So I think golf, I think they've tried to do it, the PGA tour a little with some of their guys. They started to do these individual commercials for guys a couple years ago, but they kind of went away, which I don't understand. I remember there was one for Dustin Johnson. I remember there was one for Ricky Fowler. I think they need to do more of that. I think they need to make watching a certain player a must-watch event, like it is for Tiger Woods still, obviously, as we saw this past week, and the ratings are up and everything else. Tiger Woods is that must-watch guy. They have other guys who are must-watch guys, I think. I think Dustin Johnson is one. I think Rory McIlroy is one. Jordan Spieth certainly comes to mind. These guys, Ricky Fowler, they're all exciting players, but I think they need to find a way to make people tune in just to watch one guy or two guys and not really focus on the tournament as much. And and again, Ricky Fowler, Ricky Fowler is huge. He has developed his own style, his own brand. You see kids just dressing like him at tournaments. You see, he does draw these crowds. For whatever reason, he has been the guy who has connected with the youth, but they need to find that with a couple more guys. That would would really help. And again, the NBA is really the league, I think, that's done the best job at that. I agree with you. The players are their greatest asset. The NBA has done a fantastic job of that. Mm -hmm. Because one of the other aspects that the NBA has at its disposal is, of course, the tribalism that is team sports. You being a long-suffering Knicks fan there, but you you still love them. (laughs) And golf doesn't necessarily have that. And I know the Ryder Cup and President's Cup especially the Ryder Cup, like that is like crazy popular because you're part of the tribe, right? And you uh, you rally behind that and it's us against them. And that's just this primal thing that, that connects people so well to their pro sports franchises, to the college they went to and pretty much any sport, their college, it doesn't matter what the rivalry is, you know, it could be it could be backgammon or curling, but if you're playing your, mm-hmm. your hated rival, you know, you're going to be cheering for it. And it's just the, it's the way it rolls. So with that, do you feel that perhaps golf, I know that Keith Pelly, for example, the European Truer, is experimenting with different team aspects and formats. Right. Do you think golf needs to maybe push a little bit harder on the experimentation on the team format so they can actually try to get people to connect more and rally around a team rather than just an individual? Yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's an interesting idea. Last year, the Zurich Classic did a really smart thing. They changed their format to a two-man team format, the first, I think, official PGA Tour team event in I don't know, 30, 40 years. And I think it was a big success for them. I mean, right off the bat in that first year. 
A, it differentiated them from all the other tournaments. And and let's be honest, in now this kind of year-round schedule, there are a lot of events that blend in with one another. So any way to differentiate yourself is smart. But that still doesn't quite obviously solve the problem of having a team, a local team or something to identify with. So yeah, how would they do that? That would be tough. Every year you have the Americans taking on either the Europeans in the Ryder Cup or the international team in the President's Cup. Those events do well, obviously in particular, the Ryder Cup, which has just become huge in the past few years. So you're right. There's definitely something that probably should be tapped into more there just based on the success the Ryder Cup has had. But again, with golf, it is so hard because when it comes down to it, it is an individual sport. You are hitting one shot at a time. So it's certainly a little different. And I know there's people who say, well, then we should have the Europeans play the internationals and this and that. And yeah, that stuff could be fun. But I think at some point you would run the risk of cutting into the popularity of those events. So, but I think you're right. I think they definitely could do more interesting formats like the European Tour is doing with that sixes event, which is a mix of stroke play and match play. They've done some other things with the shot clock to speed up the game some things like that. And there should be certain tournaments on the PGA Tour who are looking to be that tournament that differentiates itself, like the Zurich with the team, like the waste management, having the stadium hole and the crazy 40,000 people on that hole. That's why that tournament stands out. Each tournament should find a way to differentiate itself. And hopefully more tournaments are thinking of those ideas and following the European Tour's lead. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thanks for that. I also find it very interesting too, as far as that team format. And the Zurich was very successful. I did watch that as compelling stuff. But I think for most people too, even though it's a team, it's like, well, what does that team represent and why should I cheer for that? I don't have an answer for that. And I'm not not criticizing their efforts there at all. But it seems like that's kind of the tricky bit for them where even at the Olympics, if you want to look at positive validators for this, the Olympics are not adding new sports all the time. But what they've done is they've taken sports that are individual and they've added a team component to that. They've actually done that in the Winter Olympics, figure skating. They've done that with curling. So all of a sudden there's more events. Mm -hmm. So there's more content and also there's that team aspect. It's just a, a different dynamic feel to it. So I don't know, but you're more on the inside than I following this. Have you heard is the plan for the next Olympics for golf? Are they looking to also have a team format? I have not heard that specifically, but I agree with you 100%. And I think that most people were surprised that there wasn't a team format. I understand that there should be an individual, but like you mentioned, as they did with figure skating, you can have the individual and the team format. And there's other events that have done that for years. I remember leading right up to the Olympics, Matt Kuchar was asked about it and he was going to represent the US and he thought it was a team event. He he had no idea. He was like, really? It is? It's not a team event? And they, No, it's an individual event. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? he ended up winning bronze and being elated at that. And I think that golf overall was a success in the Olympics. I think it was cool that it was there. I think it's going to take a few years to see really the effects that it has. I know that Henrik Stenson battling for the gold, he ended up coming up just short to Justin Rose. The TV ratings came out. The TV ratings in Sweden for golf in the Olympics were off the charts, like insane, like blew the Super Bowl numbers out of the water in that country. Now, again, Sweden, they do play some golf there, obviously. Henrik Stenson and Jesper Parnovic, I mean, they, uh, Carl Pedersen, they had some good golfers there. So people weren't going that crazy for golf probably in some of these other countries, but you never know. It could get to that point. So I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, the Olympics really is doing something cool here. But yes, yeah, certainly it would not be a big stretch to then have the top two or three guys. Well, I guess it was really most countries only had two, but fine. The top two guys be a team as well, add their scores together. Because I think the biggest miss by the Olympics was 
was that it was just another 72-hole stroke play event. And I think everybody was a little surprised by that. I get that on some level, that is the most common form that we see, obviously, on the PGA Tour. But for the Olympics, I think they probably should have mixed it up a little, or at least, like you said, have two parts to it, where it is 72-hole stroke play, but also there's a team element thrown in there as well. Hopefully, they can expand on that. They're definitely going to be back in 2020 in Japan. I think they already proved enough last year that, that they'll probably get an extension past that. Right. But yeah, you can always change the format, and you can always tweak and and make it better that's for sure definitely and the the venue is built that's the thing that's the expensive part you look at that golf course in rio that apparently now is just a wasteland which is really sad i'm so sad but even there they could have doubled the usage of that even during the olympics just a missed opportunity there it's also very interesting too the format could have an opportunity to experiment with shorter formats one thing in our work in sport innovation that we use as validators, sports like cricket, where I'm a North American guy like you, my business partner is Australian, so he's told me everything more than I care to know about cricket. <laughs> cricket is a five-day event. Oh, unreal. I tell all my, my American friends, so they understand, it's like, well, what that is, it's like a 45-inning baseball game yeah. that could end up in a tie. And everybody's cool with that. Uh, like, wow, that sounds awful. And I yeah. said, yeah, it, it is awful. But what they've done over the last couple of decades, Alex, is they've actually compressed that down into a one-day event. And now they've compressed that down into something called 2020 cricket with 20 overs. I'm not even going to try to explain what an over is because I'd be honest, I don't quite understand myself. But <laughs> the point being is now they've looked at other professional sports. They brought in both the NFL and the NBA a couple of years ago as consultants to take all the best aspects of what they're doing. And this has now manifested itself into what's called the IPL, which is the Indian Premier League. And this thing is unbelievably popular. They've got like half a billion fan base. It's massive. Rugby with Rugby Sevens has done the same thing, compress it down, and it's very popular. You look at beach volleyball as compared to traditional six-player volleyball. So these other sports have done that. Golf still hasn't found that secret sauce, even though Keith Pelly is kind of dipping his toe in it with golf sixes with an experiment. But I think there's a real opportunity there in the future. Someone will create that. Someone will unlock that. And I think that's really exciting for golf because it will not, just like with cricket. The traditionalists were all getting bent out of shape they thought it was going to desecrate and ruin the traditional game. In fact, the opposite has happened traditional cricket has never been more popular because you get just like you get with top golf with players right you get people coming through that gateway of the sport and now it's like hey you know what when i was younger i love that whatever that format will be called in golf i love that now i like golf now I'm going to watch traditional golf. I'm going to watch the PGA Tour. I'm going to watch a regular tour event. I'm going to go to one. So I think there's all those opportunities, which is super exciting for the sport. Because like yourself, I'm bullish on golf now. When we first got onto the into the golf innovation game about five years ago, it was pretty bleak with people looking for a lot of questions and nobody really had any answers. But I think it's exciting times for golf. I think golf's in good shape now and it's only going to get better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I know that you see these stats, the overall participation rates have stayed pretty stagnant, I think, in the last decade or so. But again, if you start to expand your horizons on how you calculate those numbers, what you call playing golf, you'll see that the numbers are starting to go up. They have to be with things like Top Golf. And you know, an event that I covered this past fall, which was really interesting, was the major series of putting in Las Vegas. It was a huge putting tournament. They said it was the biggest tournament ever. It was certainly the most lucrative tournament ever. Bunch of events spread out over two weeks. There were some tour pros there. I know Brad Faxon was one of the ambassadors of the event. Colt Nost did really well in one of the events. There was a kid who just had graduated from UNLV there. He won a $75,000 event. It was a convergence of these tour pros, these aspiring mini tour pros, and then there were actually professional 
mini golf players from Europe and from the United States. These guys, man, there were some characters there. They had some crazy putting strokes, some crazy looking putters. The, the guy who's considered the best mini golf player in the world. It was just really cool because this is an event that is only going to grow and it's only going to get more people. And you're going to get a lot of people who want to get out there who, like we were talking about mini golf before, they say, hey, I'm a pretty good mini golf player. I'm going to go out here and play against a PGA Tour pro. And so events like that, they're going to have qualifiers around the country. They did last year already. That It's going to grow even more and more. Places like Top Golf. if you start counting those activities as golf, then there are a lot more golfers in the U.S. than are given credit for. Yeah, and I believe in last year, it was either the USGA or the PGA. It's probably the USGA. They actually counted rounds of golf played, including top golf visits. So they are already considering that as golf. There you go. So very interesting. You did mention uh, major series of putting. We were there for four there days and actually did yep. two episodes for the conversations we had with people there. So I, I could not agree with you more, Alex. If you were there, I guess we probably crossed paths, but didn't know each other quite then. We might have. Yeah. But we know each other now. So there you go. So it all works out in the end. There you go. But I agree with yeah. you completely. One of the best takeaways for myself with that is putting does level the playing field, but you had some women there that play on the Symmetra Tour. So very, very good players. Yep. And they played in that pro tournament against Brad Faxon and a couple of them almost beat him. Right. So you would never get that in a traditional 72 hole golf tournament, not even close. Right. So just love that aspect. You have that layered in with what they call the skills-based gaming where you put some money down and bet on yourself and some of the other putting competitions they actually had off on the side. Mm -hmm. So I think they're just kind of scratching the surface on the potential of that. So it's a, yet another validator for golf. It isn't just some magic pill or silver bullet that's going to solve, uh, you know, solve all the problems to grow golf. And a lot of different people from a lot of different angles are making all those good things happen, including yourself. And we thank you for your efforts that you are making there, both as a writer and also with the grind. So, hey, Alex, uh, while we finish up here, I'm not going to ask you a question. You didn't even know I'm going to ask you this one. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So which of these two things will happen first? The Knicks make the playoffs or Tiger wins another major? <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, I hate to say it. I bet the Knicks will probably make the playoffs before Tiger makes, wins a major. But, 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 I have a bet with a coworker. I'm on record. If Tiger plays a full schedule this year, I'm, that's the stipulation of the bet. He has to play 15 events. I do think he will win this year. I was very excited by what I saw from him at the Honda Classic. The craziest thing was that 128.2 mile per hour swing. I mean, this is a 42-year-old with four back surgeries, and that's the second fastest swing speed recorded on tour this year. So yeah. there was definitely a lot to, to see there. The major, we'll see. I mean, I hope I'm wrong with that. I hope he could still win that too. But I do think he will win again on the PGA Tour, even this year, as long as he stays healthy and I think we're all hoping that he stays healthy, of course, and that we get to see him play the Masters a few more times at least because that would probably be the major that he'd have his best chance. True enough. Well, I guess that gives me an excuse to have you back on the Mod Golf Podcast in the future so we can actually see if either of those two things have happened in the meantime. <laughs> so, hey, with that, Alex, why don't you tell our listeners where they can learn about all the awesome things you're doing with both Golf Digest and also with The Grind? Sure. Yeah. Well, golfdigest.com. Come on over, check out the loop, check out the grind every Tuesday. You'll see the grind videos popping up probably too much for your, your tastes all over other posts and stuff. You know how these videos are these days. You hear something you're like, where's it coming from? So apologies in advance for that, but please give it a listen. Give it a, give it a chance at least really appreciate it. If you do. Thank you. Absolutely. And I will make sure that all of those links, including your social media handles, are in the show notes for the Mod Golf Podcast on this particular episode with Alex. And also have to thank you before you go here with Golf Digest, the, the great work you guys 
are doing and women are doing over there as far as diversity and inclusion, reaching out in a very authentic, meaningful way for minorities, for women growing the game with younger people. You guys are doing your part and the game thanks you for that. And I thank you for that personally also. So keep on doing the great stuff you're doing over there, Alex. Well, thank you so much. And, and really, Colin, thanks for all the kind words and everything else. And I know, I mean, we both obviously love this game and we want to do everything to get more people to love the game. So whatever we can do, whether it's doing silly videos or whether it's whatever, we want more people to play and, and certainly get into the game that, that we love. So thanks again for having me on. Thank you for doing your show as well. Hey, it's my, my pleasure. So Alex Myers, senior writer with Golf Digest and host of The Grind and apparently also involved with The Loop too. Thanks so much for being on the Mod Golf Podcast today. Have a great day and hope to talk to you very soon. Sounds good, Colin. Thanks for having me on. Take care. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the Mod Golf Podcast with Alex Myers, senior writer at Golf Digest and contributor to The Loop. To watch some of Alex's video segments on the grind, go to our episode page at www.mod.golf for his guest bio, where we've included links to some of his episodes. Join me again next week for my conversation with Pascal Stlos who is the CEO of eGolf Pay, who are quickly establishing themselves as the Uber of golf. What do I mean by that? Tune in next week to find out. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast, you can find even more engaging stories about the future of golf on our episodes page. You can also find all of our previous Mod Golf Podcast episodes on iTunes. And if you're a Spotify subscriber, you can now find us there also. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Bye for now.